study through the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. So if the ushers will pass out some scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and they'll bring you one. You can keep it. It's yours. One of the reasons why I don't put the scriptures up on the screen is I want you to get used to figuring out where the books of the Bible are. I want you to become familiar with the Word of God. Uh, I've said thousands of times, I'll say thousands of times more, that a man whose Bible is falling apart is a sign that his life usually isn't. I want you to be in your scriptures. I want you to know all 66 books of the Bible. I want you to see how they intertwine. I want you to be hungry for the Word of God and able to turn to the passages of Scripture. Um, if, if you're new to the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then I love this little thing, go eat popcorn. So it's Galatians, uh, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and we're in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. We finished chapter 1, we're coming into chapter 2. For those of you who are new this morning, I just want to share with you. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is near Turkey. I've actually visited there. Amazing city. The ruins are phenomenal. Uh, to see the amphitheater where Paul was and to see how uh, the, the great tumult uh, occurred in that city when Paul was preaching the gospel. He ministered as a pastor in that city for three and a half years. And they worshiped the goddess Diana. And uh, because of the worship was, was waning for Diana because people were getting sick of this, uh, they started to turn to Christ, and the people who were selling the little idols of Diana were upset because their profits started to drop, and so they started a, 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 a riot in Ephesus, and they wanted to kill Paul. Uh, but Paul was powerfully used in Ephesus. He loved that church, and now he's in a Roman prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live much longer, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus to encourage them. It's amazing that when we get in tough times, we want people to encourage us. Here's Paul in, in Rome, uh, facing possible death, doesn't know what tomorrow holds, and his whole heart is for the people that are in Ephesus that he deeply loves. I'll tell you the quickest way out of depression. The quickest way out of depression, serve somebody. Get outside yourself. We are in an empty abyss. You want to look internally, it's, you can throw that, that rock into that well and it'll never hit bottom. But when you get outside of yourself and start serving people, you see the love of Christ, your life is strengthened. If you're going through depression right now, come talk to me. I'll put you into some service. Um, how many folks served on Resurrection Sunday that enjoyed it, that enjoyed it? Raise your hand. All right. And for those of you who didn't enjoy it, how many of you did it bring a, a, a renewed interest in Resurrection Sunday, that it really blessed you in a significant way, that you saw the, the gospel, you saw lives transformed by your service? Raise your hand. So this is, this is the power of serving. It gets you outside yourself, lifts your depression. If you, if, if you want to be miserable, make it all about you. But like the Apostle Paul, you learn the lesson, even in prison, facing death, uh, probably chained to, to Praetorian guards, here he is, he's ministering to others, and his spirits are being lifted. And so we've gone through, they call this the queen of the epistles. It's, it is to the churches, this, this letter is to the churches theologically what the book of Romans was uh, for our intense understanding. Paul wrote both, but this queen of the epistles, the, the letter to the church at Ephesus, is so deep in doctrine, but it pertains to our, our personal Christian walk. And as we've studied in the past weeks, Looking at Ephesians chapter 1, we realize that we've been predestined and chosen unto salvation, that we've been adopted into the family of God, and we go through all of these beautiful pictures that are ours. These are our riches in Christ. And, and, and I, I, before I get into the reading and have you stand, I do want to say this. We, we come into to a building like this, we sit down, and we've got voices from our past. 
We've got voices from our past, everyone telling you who, you who they think you are. You've got voices in your head from people who've said things about you. That this is, I've got to tell you something. When I was in Fresno, California, and, and I was ministering there as a youth minister, um, the senior pastor um, had a meltdown. I, that's the only way I could describe it. And I was having dinner with uh, missionaries. It was my wife and I were having dinner with a missionary couple. And, and I had locked down the church, and I was living in the parsonage at the time. The pastor pulls up in our driveway, and he knocks on the door. Michelle answers, and the, the pastor says, can you have Rob come out? And I thought he wanted me to do something because he had just gone to the church, maybe locked down because I lived on the campus of the church. I open up uh, the door, and I said, how, how can I help you? He says, come on outside. And I said, okay. I walk outside. I'm, I'm blindsided. He just starts yelling at me. You'll never amount to a pastor. You don't love people. You're a pathetic loser. He's using cuss words. He's pointing his finger, hitting me in the chest. I have to tell you something. Every time I miss an appointment or I, I go by somebody in the supermarket that used to go to our church or, or I forget to call somebody on their birthday, all I can hear in my head is that voice. You'll never be a pastor. You don't love people. And that, that voice of condemnation, I, I know God's called me in the ministry. I know I love people, but I also know I make mistakes. And his grace is sufficient. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. But, but those are the voices I'm speaking about. And when, when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he wants you to get rid of those voices so that you can hear God's voice. God says, I love you with an everlasting love. I began this work. I'll complete it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 2 even a greater picture. This is probably the central theme for me in all of the book of, of Ephesians. Because to me, this is what separates Christianity from every religion in the world. And it's found here in Ephesians chapter 2. Long introduction. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2. Picking up at verse 1. And you. You know who that means? Just, just point at yourself right now. Just point. And you. I'll point at you. You point at me. That's a, and you. He made alive. Now, by the way, do you see how that's italicized? It's kind of at an angle, those three words he made alive. That's not in the original language. The, the people who wrote it put it in there because they, they didn't want you to, they wanted to kind of cushion what, what Paul's about to say because it's pretty heavy. I want you to just remove he made alive and just say, and you, all right, and you, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin. Do you see how that's heavy already? They wanted to soften it. They wanted to soften it. He, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And everyone say in verse 4, but God. Two powerful words, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then verse eight, for by grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Everyone say workmanship. Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That'll be our passage. Let's pray. Lord, you are rich in mercy. And when we see all these things that describe who we are in the first three verses of this passage, it's so refreshing to hear the next two words, but God. 
Lord, while we were dead in our trespasses, you made us alive by the fact that you were rich in mercy and because of your great love in which you loved us. You made us alive together in Christ, and it's by grace we've been saved. And so, Lord, as we undertake the study of this passage, as Paul wanted to encourage the church at Ephesus, we know, Holy Spirit, you want to encourage all who are present here this morning. Lord, even as we read in the first three verses, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin, though it says were, there are some of us that were in that place, but there are some of us who are in that place. We've never come to know Christ as our Savior. But we're so grateful for the first two words in verse four, but God, it can all change this morning. Whether we've walked away from you or we've never even come to know you, it can change all right now. And so, Lord, we thank you for that great power that you possess, that you avail to us this morning. Bless all who are present at the hearing of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat, relax. In preparing for this study, one of the things I wanted to put together, but I just couldn't figure out technologically how to do it because they, I guess they had them embedded and I couldn't pull them off the screen. But I'd gone to a, a website um, in Florida that showed before and after pictures, before and after pictures of people who, uh, this is what they looked like before they were on crystal meth, and this is what they looked like after they were on crystal meth. For some of them, it was a simple eight-month transition from this is what they used to be to who they are now, and then there were others who had been on crystal meth for five to ten years. And you just see these vibrant, young, lovely faces, and then you know a few short months later or, or many years later, they are just absolutely just run through the mill. They, they, look, they look like they're walking dead. Their teeth are missing. Their, their faces are covered in, in open wounds. Uh, the, the nerves in their face have, have started to deteriorate. Their eyes have drooped. Um, it's, it's awful. Their hair's falling out. And I look at those and I just think the tragedy of the way in, uh, the way in which the world works in the lives of people uses them up and casts them aside. And they become just objects of, of, of wrath and destruction. And, and this is the picture in the first three verses. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, they look like they're walking dead which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the prince of the power of the air. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the the father of lies. You've been created in the image of God, and he wants you destroyed. He's going to hell, and he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And, And whether you believe in hell or you don't believe in hell, I will say this. The person who spoke of hell more than anyone in the Bible was Jesus because he didn't want anyone to go there. He was so convinced that hell is real that he, he was nailed to a cross as a barrier to stop you from entering. He gave every drop of blood in his body to cleanse you of your sins so that the only way you can get to hell is to step over the cross of Christ to get there and say, I see your sacrifice, I see your atoning blood, but I don't want it to hell with me. And that's a tragedy. And God would want that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. And that's why it says you've been predestined and chosen from the foundation of the world, whenever the scriptures speak of predestined and chosen, it's always unto salvation, never unto damnation. You haven't been predestined and chosen unto damnation. It doesn't speak of that in the scriptures. You've been predestined and chosen unto salvation. Ever, before there was a you, God had you on his mind. He loves you with an everlasting love. He knows that the world is a fallen place and he's come to give you deliverance. And we all suffer from the same malady and that's, that's sin. And sin is just simply falling short of perfection. And the Bible says that one sin separates us from God for all eternity, and the wages of sin is death. It's, it's capital punishment. And you may think that cruel, but I ask you, 
Have you ever stood before a holy God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand and you're going to shake your fist at him and demand an answer as to why he would be so cruel? I, I would, I, if I stood before a holy God, it wouldn't be, why are, you, why are you judging me? It would be, why are you allowing me to live? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Have you ever walked into the presence of somebody who is remarkable? They walk into the room, they walk into the room and, and the air in the room changes. The air in the room changes. Whose who's phone? That's okay. Sorry about that. They were just, they're, they're servants, and they're asking you all right now, by their way that they did this, if you turn off your phones as well. So shut those off. You know, and I've been hard on people with the phone thing. This is a culture we live in. And, and you know, I'd be hard on them until it happened to me. It was so embarrassing. You think it's off, it's not. So God's grace be on you, no worries. All right. So it, it, when, when I lost my train of thought, but it was really a good one. It was so amazing. So amazing. Where was I? Yeah. Thank you, Jeannie. Standing in front of the presence of the Lord, you realize this, that when the air changes, when somebody who's remarkable comes into a room and, and, and they have that character to be able to change the condition of the room. Have you ever been around somebody that they walk in and you go, oh, stop cussing, so-and-so's here? Anyone? They, they carry with them an authority. Imagine standing before God. He holds the heavens in the span of his hand. Who are you? And you're going to stand there and tell him that he owes you an answer. When you're the only creature in all of his creation, he's, been give, he's given the ability to love. And he's, he's, he died for you. He didn't die for the baby fur seal or the spotted owl. or, or he, didn't, he died for you. His blood shed on the cross was for the remission of your sins. He, he saw that we all have a terminal illness. He saw that we're all on death row. He paid the penalty, and all we have to do is receive it by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all the benefit. He paid the penalty. He died in my place. He died in your place. And we're going to stand before God and say, I'm a good person. Let me in. And God says, good. What are you talking about? How can you say that? Do you, do you see how ugly your sin is? It was so awful. This is what happened to my son. He said, Lama, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's how awful the sin is. It's all those things you see, think in secret, all those devious plots, all those things that you do in the dark. You know what they are? Who are we fooling? It, it, when we start thinking ourselves not guilty of that, we are, we're mentally ill. Man struggles with guilt. We do. And, and no matter the medication you take to take away the emotions, there's still guilt. You can sit there and, and pump the medication in, but if you're outside the will of God, all you're doing is you're still guilty and drooling. And somebody feeds you applesauce. It's still guilt. We know that. And, and so, so Paul is saying, you, you, and when he's saying you, he's, he says me as well. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when I see these pictures from the Florida law, law offices, law enforcement offices, with before crystal meth, after crystal meth, then I went to the Teen Challenge websites. And I saw before Christ and after Christ. 
You bring in these crystal meth addicts whose faces are just mauled and pockmarked, walking dead people. And you see the first three verses of, of Ephesians, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among all, whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. You know, crystal meth does wonders for families, doesn't it? It just brings them so close together, doesn't it? Just, it's just so great when dad's lit. He's just such a wonderful father with all those mood swings. And he doesn't bring home any money because he's not working because he can't hold down a job. What a great drug that is. And mom, it just does wonders for her. And the fidelity of the marriage, it's, it's so exciting. Heroin, hasn't it done wonders for our children? Isn't it such a blessing? Walk in accordance with the lust of the flesh. I mean, why work when you could just pop it into your veins or drop the pill and just check out? Just check out. Forget about work. Forget about responsibilities. Forget about being an adult. Let everyone else implode around you. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? Those are the first three verses. Paul's not mincing any words. He's saying this is the ugliness of our lives. And you say, well, I'm not into heroin. I don't do crystal meth. Okay, let's just pick whatever you want. Those sins that easily beset you. You know what they are. I know what they are. Who are we fooling? And the beautiful picture that you see in Teen Challenge is this is on crystal meth. This is off crystal meth. This is before Christ. This is after Christ. Before Christ, in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, we are children of wrath just as the others. Children of wrath. Children of wrath. Children of wrath. Think about that. How can a loving God ever send anyone to hell? Well, if we're going to take that course of action, then let's just remove all of the law enforcement. What do you say? Because how can loving people enforce laws? Let's just let us run amok. Anarchy. Forget about right and wrong. It's whatever feels good to you. Just do it. As long as you don't hurt anyone. What does hurt mean? Who's the definer of that? Is killing an unborn baby hurting someone? Well, no, no, no. What does hurt mean? Molesting a child? Well, yeah, that's, that's bad. Not to some. Who defines the rules? If there's no absolutes, do you believe that absolutely? I know it's early. Who defines the rules? Let's just have anarchy. How can a loving God do that? How can a loving God send someone to hell? How can a loving God be wrathful? Well, then why are there any penalties for any of the things we do when we break the law? Parents, why do you discipline your children? What's the point? Just run amok. There's no absolutes. He who dies with the most toys wins. Do whatever it takes to get whatever you want, however you need to do it. We know what a horrible world that would be, yes. We as parents, and even having been raised in families, we understand that that doesn't work. Some of you have been raised in homes where there wasn't any discipline. That's why you're in church. It didn't work, did it? Permissive parents. The Bible says the Lord chastens those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. Some of you were disciplined inappropriately. I understand that. You never discipline in anger. You never discipline in anger. You are so bad. It makes the spankings harder. You don't do that. 
You say to your child, if, this is what, if, if you do this, this is what will happen. Mm. Mm. And they do it. Okay, come on. Why are you doing this to me? Because you asked me to. <laughs> well, why would you do that? I want to teach you at an early age that there's consequences for your actions. I'd rather have your rear end hurt a little bit than your body electrocuted when you put the fork in the light socket. Or when you pull a gun at the liquor store. There's consequences to your actions. You operate in this capacity, you will face wrath. There will be death, there will be destruction. You walk in the flesh, you walk in and you conduct yourselves in the lust of the flesh. You do whatever you want, no matter what it, how it hurts anybody. Why? Because God loves us. Folks, this promiscuity doesn't do us any good. We remove the rules and society implodes. Everyone hates police officers when they get, when they get pulled over. Yes? Oh, you love them. Oh, I'm so glad you pulled me over. I'm so deserving of a ticket. Would you? No, you're going, I don't know that I was speeding. I went to go pick up my daughter. Uh, it, she was taking a test, and we were driving through a residential area. Thousand Oaks got pulled over, and I, I speed limit everything. Lady walks up, and she says, "Do you know why I pulled you over?" I said, "I have no idea, but I'm sure you're going to tell me." <laughs> and she says, "Your registration is expired." And she said, uh, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm a pastor." a little bit tiny she was merciful and she let me off no fix a ticket i thought that was sweet i got it fixed the next day i got to fix the next day mercy god's kindness leads us to repentance i couldn't wait to fix it but you know officers walk up to cars and they oh you know let me off i, I can't afford it man if you just you know i'll lose my car and you just don't understand the police officer like, let's just write this guy up and get him off the streets you become accustomed to entitlement you get away with sin, you want people to keep letting you do it. There's consequences to your actions. We break down, we, we're destroyed. And so when we get to this place, and Paul describes, he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's evil in the world. There's good and there's evil. Whether you believe it or you don't, just like there's gravity, it doesn't matter if you believe it or you don't believe it, it's there. And it's working in the lives of people. And it's to control the minds and the hearts of people. And the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are so moved by what the world says that we'll do anything to conform so people will like us. We'll buy things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. We'll do whatever we can to conform to this world. And God says, be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This world's passing away. If this is all there is, I don't want it. You know, I love what Pastor Dave says. He says you know, when we're arguing and, and we're running around for all the trinkets on the face, of, you know what it's like? It's like arguing for deck chairs on the Titanic. Oh, I want this one because this is a nice... It's going down! The 100th anniversary. We've had 100 years to ex- examine that. It's still down there. And the people who are fighting for the deck chairs don't care anymore. And if you're running for all that stuff, you're running for things that are perishing. 
And when you come to this understanding, whether you can say, and you who were dead, or you can read as, and you who are dead, there's two categories of people probably in the room this morning. Those of you who were dead, and you've, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and those of you who are dead in your trespasses. How am I dead? I'm alive, my heart's beating. Yes, you are, but you're a trichotomy. You're a trichotomy. You're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. It says in Thessalonians that it's soma, psyche, and pneuma. The soma is the body, the psyche is the mind or the intellect, and the pneuma is the spirit of God. And in Genesis, when God said to Adam and Eve, you may eat of any tree freely in the Garden of Eden, but of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat, because in eating of it, you will die. Dying, you will surely die. It's, 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 it's at that moment and continuing. You're dead. Well, they ate of it. Basically, what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, was it was an exit from God's presence. I'm going to run life on my own. I don't need you. And the Bible says that they're sealed in their perdition. And, and so when that happens, they ate of the tree. First Eve did, and then Adam. They were both dead, dying. They were dead and dying. Yes, their soma was working, and so was their psyche. But the pneuma, God's spirit, had, had been removed. He is the author of life and the sustainer of life, and he's out of the equation, and the body begins to deteriorate. So what did God do? He sealed off eternity from them and gave them grace. And grace is described as time. Between the point of a man's birth and the point of his death, the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. God allows you on this earth, which is the year of your birth and the year of your death, that dash, to reconcile your life to God. You're a walking dead man, walking dead woman. You have been separated from God because of your sin. And you have the opportunity to be reconciled, reconnected, that the Spirit of God would dwell in you again because Christ would pay the penalty for your sin and God would return. Now, everyone sinned. We're all wretched. He's described in the first three verses. But then it comes to verse 4 and says, but God. See, You couldn't save yourself in 10,000 lifetimes with the sins you've committed and I've committed. One sin separates you from eternity, separates you from heaven for all eternity. How many times a day does a good man sin? You may be good compared to me, but how many times a day does a good man sin? Eight? Five? Times 365? Times 70 years? You're going to stand before God with this. I mean, how long of a list is that? I'm a good guy. Let me in. I'm a good woman. Let me in. But God, and this is the beauty, this is, listen, this is what separates Christianity from every religion in the world, but God, verse 4, look at that, but God, who is rich in mercy, you know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve, not getting what you deserve, you have committed the crime, I've committed the crime, you're guilty, I'm guilty, the judge is now going to rule in the case, the judge is, represents justice, and so if he's going to have mercy on you, the person you violated or offended needs to be recompensed they need to be given compensation for what you've taken yes so the penalty of your sin my sin is death so if the judge is going to have mercy not giving you what you deserve not giving me what i deserve then he's going to say i have mercy on you but the price of the justice still has to be paid so i will put that on my son but god who is rich in mercy still just but rich in mercy you see mercy is greater than grace you can't have grace without mercy God had to look at you and me and say, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. 
I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm rich in mercy, but because of his, and, and why is he rich in mercy? Why is he rich in mercy? Pay attention over here. They're just coming in late. Why is he rich? Right here. No, no, no. Don't look. Don't over here. Stay with me. Stay with me. All right. They're seated. Let's go again. Okay. But God, everyone say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Here's the deal. He's given you this mercy. He's, give, he's rich in mercy. And why? Because of his great love that he loves upon us. He loved us with this great love. Not, the scripture says, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. He's the initiator. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's, that's the manifestation of his love. I have mercy on you. I will pay the justice. My son will be crucified in your place. And I will lavish upon you my love. You see, when the law's been broken, somebody's got to pay the price. I told you the story about when I was throwing the ball against the wall and I broke the neighbor's window. And the neighbor came out and said, I know boys throw the ball. And I know that's something they do, but the window's been broken. That window's got to cost somebody something. He says, I think your boy needs to understand that there's consequences to his actions. And my dad said, you know, Mr. Gillard, I agree with you. He doesn't have the wherewithal to pay it. I'll pay it for him. I, I didn't have the ability to pay for my salvation. Neither do you. You can't earn your salvation. You can't say, you know what? I'm going to earn God's favor by being a good person. There's none righteous. No, not one. You may be good compared to me, but if you're trying to earn goodness with God, it doesn't work. It's like all of us going out on a full moon night, crystal clear sky, looking up in the sky, seeing this enormous moon and saying, hey, we're all going to do a contest and, and, and based on our righteousness, that's going to equate to our physical ability, all right? So our righteousness is going to be equated to our physical ability. So if you're a really good person, you're going to have incredible physical ability. And if you're like a Ted Bundy, you're, you're going to be a cripple. And we'll go out on a full moon night. So let's say, you know, you got the Mother Teresa, you know, good works life. I mean, you are just a, an athlete par excellence. And you, 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 you go first and you jump really high. And I mean, you go like three and a half miles into the sky. No one's ever done that before. And you take a swipe at the moon. And then the, the person who's been sinful their whole life, the whole Ted Bundy cripple thing, they, and they don't even leave the ground. Just, that's me, right? And, and no, I'm not Ted Bundy, but that, you know what I'm saying. Just, and somewhere in between there's you. And, but, but here's the thing. You may be better than me and you may have gone higher, but we all have something in common. Not a single one of us came remotely close to touching the moon. You can't do it. You can't even come close. No matter how hard you try, no matter what rules you make, you break them. You know you do. You can't keep them. So every religion in the world that you have obtained God's favor by doing good things doesn't work. I don't care if you wear a suit and drive a bicycle all over town with your buddy and knock on every door. I don't care if you send your, your reports back to the watchtower in Brooklyn, New York, and you walk every Saturday 
You, you don't make it in. You know who you are. You know what you do. And it doesn't work to say I'm a good person. There's nobody on this earth who's a standard. God is a standard. It's against him and him alone that we've sinned. And when you look at the passage in verse 4, it says, but who is rich in mercy because of his love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And you're dead. That's what Paul's trying to say. You and I are dead. The, the Spirit's gone. And the only, the only way to be revived, the only way to have a makeover, the only way to go from crystal meth to having a life with Christ to having the pockmarked face absolutely transitioned into this beautiful new creature in Christ. The only way is what it says in parentheses, by grace you've been saved. You have to receive that. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the acronym for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's by grace you've been saved. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. Why does he give it? Because he's rich in love and rich in mercy. Why? I don't know. He just is. And the word rich means this. The illustration, the best I can give you, is the, the young woman prostitute who was, who was brought into the rescue mission in London. She had never stepped out of London. She had been raised as an orphan, went into prostitution. Her whole life had been misery. And they brought her to the, to the coast for the first time in her life to see the ocean. And she began to weep on a beautiful sunny day in England. She's weeping, looking out at the ocean. They couldn't understand why she was weeping. They said, why are you weeping? And she said, it's the first time in all my life that I've seen something that there's, there's more than enough. There's more than enough. Her whole life had been scrambling to find something that's enough. Those things in the flesh that you've been running after, is it enough? Has it sustained you? You just need another pill? Why isn't there, I've said this before, why isn't there just one centerfold? Why do you have to have a new one every month? It's never enough. It's never enough. But God's mercy is, and his love is. And it's by grace you've been saved. And then quickly, verse six, he raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, let me share with you something. Let me share with you something that I pray will minister to you. And, and, and this is something for those of you who are struggling right now. Well, I, I know you're all sinners, because I, I am too. We have that in common. We're all a mess. We're new creatures in Christ, but that doesn't mean we're sinless. It just means, Lord willing, we start to sin less. But we don't get to heaven because we're sinless. We get to heaven because we're covered in his grace and his mercy. It's his righteousness put on our account. I was bankrupt and I go to the ATM and I'm, I got billions of dollars because he imputed his riches on my account. That's, that's cool. And you think, well, what does that mean? I can continue in sin and go to heaven? Yes. Yeah, you bet you can. Wow. Well, the question is to you is why would you want to? What's it done for you so far? I mean, you, you enjoy looking like that? I'm on crystal meth picture. Is it doing wonders for your family? I thought you came because you wanted less of you and more of him. You wanted a new life. And the reason why he's merciful and gracious and he allows you to continue in sin, if necessary, is so that you'd realize something. And here it is, that his kindness will lead you to repentance. 
You see, after a while, we all start to realize, as the scripture says, a man who returns to his sin is like a dog that returns to its vomit. It's graphic, I know. But it's, it's just simply this. It, have you ever seen that? A dog do that? Oh, and then go over and have another meal? And you go, disgusting. That's you and me. You come out of that life. God delivers you, delivers me. And we go back over and we lap it up. That's awful. And you're sitting there lapping it up and going, you know what? This didn't taste as good the second time as it did the first time. Oh, I remember my great uncle. He was the most proper gentleman you could imagine. He, he was an executive with a traveler's insurance company in Indianapolis. He was a bachelor his whole life, impeccably dressed, just a, a total gentleman, just a, a, an amazing man. And my father was named after him, uh, Roy, Roy Everett. My dad was Roy Edgar, and I'm Rob, Robert Roy. And uh, my dad loved his Uncle Roy, my grandfather's brother. And uh, Uncle Roy started to slip into Alzheimer's, which my father ultimately ended up getting. And we brought him back to San Diego to care for him. And my dad just lavished on Uncle Roy and cared for him and loved on him. It was really precious. And, and that's probably one of the reasons why my dad's getting so much lovely care is because the way you serve others is the way you'll be served. But my dad told me a story one time. Uh, Uncle Roy had served in, in, I think, World War I and World War II. Um, and, and he was a, a naval officer. And, uh, and so after uh, World War II was over, he'd gone into the Traveler's Insurance Company, uh, rose in the ranks and became a very high-level executive. And my father had a, you know, a, a growing military career in the Navy, and he'd gotten command of uh, uh, the, the uh, not the Summersworth, the Harry E. Hubbard. And uh, it, was, it was a destroyer. And he had the opportunity to bring my Uncle Roy on a cruise through the North Atlantic on, on the Hubbard. And so Uncle Roy, who's a salty sea dog, and he's been on the ocean, he's been in the North Atlantic. He comes down, and he's, he's on the bridge, and they'd hit a pretty heavy storm in the North Atlantic. And it was awful. I mean, the this, this ship was being tossed and turned. And uh, my Uncle Roy, very proper, my dad looked over, and he could see that he was white as a ghost and just... <laughs> trying to maintain his composure. And my dad, who had never, he was so embarrassed because this man's so proper and he just didn't want to have him in a tough situation. And he was wondering how Uncle Roy was going to handle being seasick. He says, excuse me, Captain. <clears throat> and he goes into the bathroom and you just hear these awful noises and, you know, like, you know, kidneys and lungs coming up and just, he comes out, his eyes are watering and he sits down. There's an uncomfortable silence between my father and Uncle Roy. And Uncle Roy says, you know, I don't remember ever having eaten that. <laughs> Long story, simply to tell you, you get to a place where you think, why, listen, why am I back here? This is awful. This is awful. Only to realize that God's grace is waiting for you. If you just turn from your sin, his grace is sufficient. And then it brings us to this picture where we start to see who we are, that we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. He shows his exceeding grace to us and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus that it would lead us to repentance. What's repentance? Change. He gives you the ability to walk away. Just ask him. You're a new creature in Christ. You're, you're walking in the, in, in the full trichotomy of uh, is the way God designed you, and his power can walk you away from that sin. He doesn't give you grace so you can see how close you can get to the edge. He gives you grace so you can back away and walk in freedom. 
And then he closes with verse 8 and he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me say it again. This is a verse you should memorize. For by grace you've been saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You've been saved by grace. You can't earn it. You've been saved by grace. How do you get that grace? Through faith. What's faith? Believing that what God said, you take it full face value and you receive his sacrifice upon the cross and say, Lord, you died in my place. You paid the penalty. You were merciful to me, but you're also just. I recognize that you covered the penalty. I receive your salvation. I accept your blood to cover my sins. I'm a new creature in Christ. I realize that your spirit dwells in me. I am now a trichotomy. I'm a new creature in Christ, body, soul, and spirit. And I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to walk away from those areas where I was dead in my trespasses and sins, where I walked according to the course of this world. I don't want to go back to the vomit anymore, God. I want to walk with you. I receive your salvation. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I receive you today. And the Bible says by faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Gift. Everyone say gift. I've got this beautiful gift that God gave me, and I have the gospel, the good news. It's a gift of salvation. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. I hold this gift out to Jeannie. And if she doesn't take it, has she appropriated it? Is it on her account? No. You got to receive it. It's a gift. Someone comes to your house and says, I give you a gift. I don't want it. I don't want your lousy gift. I'm happy with my crystal meth. Ah! I'll just be in the corner eating this. Really? Yeah. Christians. They're a bunch of hypocrites. It's okay. There's room for another one. Come on. <laughs> and we you know what's beautiful about that? And this is, this is where we're going to come to a close in the message. The last portion says it's not of works. That's precious. Because in the last portion of that verse says, lest any man should boast. If you're a Christian, you're uppity. Why? Are you, are, you, are you walking around with your nose in the air? You're blocking the sun. You think you're special? Do you realize the only good thing in your life is Jesus? You want to walk around in condemnation and judgment of the world around you? Christ did not come to judge I should say he didn't come to condemn. He came to forgive. And if we serve him and he's our master, why don't we do the same thing? I mean, you don't like something. Why don't you go and get to know the folks that are engaged in it and share with them the good news? Well, those people are not like me. I'm sorry, you were the first three verses of the passage. Well, yes, but that was who I used to be. Why are you who you are? Well, it's because of my good work. Mm, No, let grace. Okay, I'll go tell them. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all beggars just showing other beggars where the food is. Go tell them. And then finally, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. The word is poema, or is poetry. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know why he saved you and me? First of all, because he loves us. 
He's rich in mercy. But he saved us so that he could show us off. Where's workmanship? Where the warp and the woof of the fabric of this poetry, this tapestry that he's created for the world to see. And they look at it and they say, that is marvelous. And they're drawn to it. But you know what makes tapestry really ugly? Is when it's covered in vomit. It's repulsive. God wants us to walk in that life that he's given us so that the world would see it and they too could have the same life. You've been saved to go and serve others to come to salvation. We're stepping stones for others to get to Christ. And that's why we began the message by saying, are you depressed? Go serve somebody. You hold, you hold the key to salvation in your life. You're God's poema. You're his workmanship. You're his tapestry. You're his poetry. And he wants you to go out and declare his glory, that people would be drawn to that. And as Christ is lifted up, all men will be drawn unto him. And you know what's cool about being saved by grace? Who gets all the glory? God does. That makes Christianity, it should be the most humble religion on the face of the earth. And you know what humble people do? They serve. You've been given that great privilege to serve. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. Amen? Let's pray. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Lord, we know that as we've read this passage this morning, that some of us see ourselves in this picture. We've given our heart to you, Lord Jesus. And we know that you made us alive. We know that we're new creatures in Christ. And we rejoice in that great gift of salvation that you've given us through grace. But Lord, I can't let the morning go by without giving the opportunity for those who've never had the chance to receive this gift that we spoke of. Lord, you say that we're to receive you. You say that if we believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved to the glory of the Father. If you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. And Lord, I I don't want the morning to go by without putting that gift forward for people to receive. Lord, you say today is a day of salvation. You also say that you would want that none would perish, but that all would be saved. You no longer want wrath upon their lives. You want them to be set free. You want to put your righteousness on their account that though their ATM is bankrupt, Lord, you're going to bless them with billions. Billions in the form of this pneuma, this spirit of God to make them a new creature in Christ. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. But you said today is a day of salvation. By your spirit, you've drawn us all to this room. You have declared that today is a day of salvation through the teaching of your word. And so, Lord, I I want to be obedient to what you're putting on my heart. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you've never made a profession of faith in Christ, the scripture says today is a day of salvation. Don't neglect so great a salvation. You never know when time's going to run out. That's not a frightening gimmick. That's a reality. 
And the Lord wants that you'd be saved. His gift is being held out to you this morning. And the simple way to receive that gift is going to be an acknowledgement of faith. And I'm going to be the witness to that. No one else is going to see. It's just you and me. And I'd ask everyone's head be bowed, everyone's eyes be closed. But if you've never given your heart to Christ, I want you in just a moment to raise your hand and look at me. And that will be your public profession of faith. So at this moment, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you want to receive the Lord as your Savior, would you right now, by God's grace, raise your hand and just put it up? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your great grace. And we as your children who walk with you, we praise you and thank you that that's who we were once. But now, Lord, by your, your mercy and your kindness, we want to walk in the newness of life. We ask your blessing now, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,